uh, book of Matthew. So if you could open up uh, the book of Matthew chapter 1, and we will look at here uh, some verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1, but also we're going to take chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 and a couple other things. And yes, uh, we'll be done in about two and a half hours, so hold still. We'll be just be on track. I'm just joking for some of you if you're here for the very first time. So... I'm just going to read through verses 18 through 25 to set the stage. Then we're going to talk through some key details of why the title is called I Believe. And I want you to remind yourself as we go through the scriptures and talk through, keep asking yourself, do I believe that? Do I believe that? Do I believe that? Do I believe that? I want you to keep asking that question as you hear the word of God talk. Because that's what's most important. It's one thing about your family, you know, mom and dad believing it. Or, or your spouse believing it. Or, or even in some cases the children believe it. But you don't believe it. That, that's a challenge. That's a problem. So we want you to think this through as the question, do I believe? Throughout the message today. Now here in this message here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So it's going to give a history here lesson for us of what took place. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, like normally when you get married, you come together to consummate that marriage uh, that evening. It says, before they come together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put, to, to put her away secretly. Now, here in the very beginning, you'll notice here some interesting characteristics or things that are taking place here. That Mary, uh, Mary here is this young woman, as we know in the scriptures, who was a virgin and who was just a, uh, a pure, just a, a, just a beautiful young lady that just loved God. And God chose her to be a vessel to bring about a, a miraculous thing. And we see how it took place. That before she actually was married to Joseph, if you remember in those days, they were first what we call engaged. But engagement for us was different for them at that time. Because when that year uh, betrothal time was like they're married. They were saying, we're committed to each other. Some of us say, oh, I'm going to put a ring on there, a promise ring, we're going to get married in a year. When you set a date and you get that marriage at all set in place. But back then when you committed, yes, we're going to get married, they became married. Then they had a year preparation time before they had the celebration with everybody. And that's when they consummated the marriage when they became one uh, husband and wife came together that evening to consummate that marriage. Now they're a full-fledged marriage. They're now moving in together, that kind of thing. So before that all took place, she found herself to be with child. Now she's a virgin. Joseph has not slept with this woman. Now think of the dynamics that are taking place. We now know in the stories, in the scriptures, that God had to come and, and let her know that Mary, it's okay, you're with child, because the Holy Spirit became, made you pregnant. The, the God came into the flesh, into your womb. But you always forget that that's great news. And that, but that would have been a pretty heavy conversation for that young lady, don't you think? That's very, very heavy. But only by God speaking to her gave her the peace to understand what was taking place. But you forget, many times forget the husband or forget the man or forget the, the guy in the, the, the woman's life. Think about Joseph. He's committed to want to marry this woman. He can't wait for, that, for a year to prepare and get things ready to consummate the marriage with Mary. She was a beautiful woman, a young woman. And yet he finds out she's pregnant? That was not a Christmas moment there. You know what I'm saying? That was not a Christmas moment for this guy. To think that she slept with another man. Well, continue the story here. But notice in verse 19 that 
He was a just man, not wanting to make her a public example because the, the community would have gone all, would have just destroyed this young woman in that time of being pregnant out of wedlock. It was not good. But while he, Joseph, thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So God sent a messenger, an angel, to speak to Joseph while he's sleeping in his dream, told him what? He told him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is God's doing. This is God at work. Joseph, I know you don't understand what's going on. I understand this is not according to your plan. It's not according to Mary's plan either. But God has chosen Mary and God has chosen you through a time like this. The question is, will you believe what God is doing in your life and in your wife Mary's life? Do you believe? Do you believe this? Well, what happens? He says, and she will bring forth a son. So the, the messenger, this angel, gives him even more detail. Not just the fact that God is the one that made her pregnant. What one detail was that he'll be, she'll be bringing forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So not only will he get a name, but also given for the purpose of why this God is doing this in through Mary's life and your life. This is, this is the Messiah. This is Christ. This is who is coming to save the sins of the world. That's a heavy conversation, don't you think, in a dream? So what happens here? It says, so, as, so all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, what prophet? The saying is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Now think through. God sends a, a messenger, an angel, to speak into the mind of Joseph while sleeping because he's had a heavy day. <laughs> he had a heavy day because he just found out his wife-to-be is pregnant and is not his child. Now I don't know about you, but guys who have heavy conversations like that and kind of it's like a punch in the gut, typically they go, I've got to, I gotta sleep. I got to sleep on this because I can't handle this. But God in his faithfulness brought in and said, I know this is a really difficult time, Joseph, but let me tell you, this is of God's work in your life and Mary's life. And not only will you, this is God at work, but this is God himself in the flesh. God is with you. And you're going to call his name Jesus or Emmanuel. And this is God's plan. Now the question is, we know in the scriptures, Mary believed. Joseph, when in verse 24, then Joseph aroused up from the sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, did not sleep with her, until her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now we know in the scriptures that Mary uh, didn't just have Jesus, but later on uh, Mary and Joseph had a normal marriage life and had other children, boys and girls in their life. We know this. But she believed what God said. And Joseph as well believed what God said. And they continued to move forward as according to God's plan, even though they did not fully understand the plan. They didn't understand this all. This is really radical conversations they're having. 
and dreams that they were receiving. Now, we see the scriptures, and I'm going to give you a few examples of people who come to the point of answering the question in their own mind, do I believe? You remember Martha and Lazarus. The story there in John chapter 11, verse 25 through 27, if you remember, or even before verse 25, Lazarus died. Remember, Lazarus was a, was a good friend of Jesus. And they were coming to Jesus. Oh, Lazarus died. Oh, he's been died for a while now. This is not good. This is not, this is not according to plan. And Martha was just grieving the loss of her brother and everything else. Remember this, this story, don't you? But if you remember, Jesus says to Martha... I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Martha, just because Lazarus died physically doesn't mean he dies spiritually. He, he's, 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 he shall live. Verse 26 of, of John 11 says, And whoever lives... And believes in me, Jesus says, shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And what did she say, verse 27 of John chapter 11? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She believed. I believe. All of us are asked that same question. Who do you believe Jesus is? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh? Do you believe that? You remember Paul's, Paul's writings? Specifically the one where he's writing in the book of Romans. He's writing to the church. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He's talking to them and he's writing to this letter to them about the very, uh, very solid foundational truths of doctrine of who Jesus Christ is. And he's writing to these letters to the, uh, to, the, to the Romans and to his other epistles as well as the other letters. But they come to the point of how are you saved? How can someone be saved from their sins? How can they not be judged for, the, for the, all the wrongs that they've thought or done in their lives? And we see Paul writing, he says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, he says. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You must confess that you're a sinner that needs to be saved. You have to have that conversation with God. Not with me. Not with some priest. Not with some, your best friend or your, even your spouse. You can confess that you need to be saved. Yes, that's great to hear that you come to the point in your life that you say, I am a wicked sinner and I need to be saved. And you confess that. But confess that to God. And with your heart, believe that he will save you. Because that's the purpose why he came here. That's why we celebrate. We have such joy in the celebration of Jesus' birth during this season. Because we recognize that God in the flesh came to save you and me for the penalties of our sins. To be set free. To have eternal life. That's amazing grace. How sweet the sound of that. How sweet. Now, he finishes there, Paul, in, that, in verse 13, he says, So whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You notice that there's no works involved here. I need to usher, and I can get saved. It's a good work, but that doesn't save you. 
I need to give money. I give lots of money. Maybe that's what will save me. That doesn't save you. Even though that's great to give money to God's work. I'll read my Bible every day and pray every day, three times a day. And that's what's going to save me. Even though that is a beautiful thing to do. And it's the right thing to do. It doesn't save you. See, all those things happen because you're saved. Because you have such joy in the fact that you've been set free that you can't wait to do something, to give back to God and do for God and to give to God because you worship your Savior. There's a story, Father and Son, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. And if you remember, it's a father-son moment here. Where here you are, there's this father has a son, and he's convulsing because he's constantly he's being attacked, and that boy is convulsing and convulsing and convulsing. And you can imagine as a father to watch your son go through this horrifying thing and not sure if he's going to die or not. And they come to Jesus and they're looking to see how can this boy be saved and happen. And it comes to a point where the father has to make a decision because he's come to Jesus. And what does he say? If you know in Mark 9, 24, he says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because there's times in our lives as believers where our belief is so weak and it almost feels like an unbelief. God, I believe you can help my son. But help my unbelief because I don't think I have enough belief to help me get through this because my son is going to die if I'm not. I can't, I, I, you know, remember, because you get to a point, you know, I've, I've watched it over in the ministry, in, my, in our own lives, in family lives. Of, you think you're in control, you've got your bank account just right, you've got your, everything seems to be just right the way you want it. Until there's a sickness that's not curable. Or it's a, something that is not happening to you, but it's happening to someone who's so near and dear to your life, and you're helpless because you cannot save that child. Who do you turn to? Do you, your, is your belief in the healthcare system more powerful than, and deeper in trust in the health system or in God who created you in the womb of your mother. Who do you turn to first? Now, we also see Jesus. In John chapter 8 and 12, 14, we see a few things here where Jesus in chapter 8, verse 24, he's talking to his disciples. And it gets to a point. Here's these, these, inner, these dudes that are on the inner circle with Jesus here. He's walking and talking with them, having meals. I mean, they're just... They're pretty tight around, the, around the, uh, the circle there. But they come to the point where they have to make a decision, don't they? Who do they believe Jesus is? Because everyone's asking, who's Jesus? Who's this guy you've been following around and holding to? But Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe, you will die in your sins. And he made it so clear to them. And even in John chapter 12, verse 47, and if anyone hears my words, Jesus says, and does not believe, I, don't, I do not judge him for, I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The Heavenly Father is going to judge. Jesus came to save the world. John 14.1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. And then he continues there in John chapter 14, verse 6, and says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
See, because Jesus came and we celebrate his birth because he comes to make a way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no way to have a life. It's eternal life. There is no other way to be able to come into the presence of the Holy Father in heaven. You must. Sin has to be dealt with. And I am the one that's going to come and pave that way for you if you choose to believe in me, Jesus says. It's a belief. Can't forget about the disciples, can we? Acts chapter 15, verses 11. They've come to the point, and you remember in the early church, there's some challenges within the church. Because you got the, you got the disciples are out there. You're saved by a belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, period. That's it. There is no other way, right? You don't add to it. You don't delete from that. It's a belief in Jesus. But if you remember back in Jerusalem, there were some challenges. They said, oh, no, 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 no. You need to have a belief in Jesus, but you also have to get circumcised. And you also have to follow some of the Jewish laws. You have to have the diet, and you have to do this, and you can only go to ch church on certain days. All these, you have to dress up a certain way and when you go to church. All these legalistic kinds of stuff. So they go and have the Jerusalem council, if you remember. And what did they say there? In Acts 15, 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. It's not by the law. It's not by works. We're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace is called a gift of God. Do you know which one is, what's the most precious gift that you and I can receive is the gift of grace. The gift of grace that God offers all men, all women, all. all we, we have to choose to receive that gift personally because it's a personal relationship. It's not a religious, it's not, you don't get this precious gift of grace from God because you belong to a church or some church system or because you were married into a Christian family. That doesn't save you. It's a personal relationship of receiving that gift of grace by putting your trust or belief in Jesus Christ as your only way to the Heavenly Father. Now, I love this story of what God will do to save a man, to save a woman. You know the story. We see it in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Here, the incredible things were happening. People were getting saved. The ministry was just blossoming. I mean, it's unbelievable what was going on in the early days of the church. Even through all the persecution that was coming against. And there was a man named Philip. You know the story. God says, Philip, I know you're having a great time. Everyone's excited what's going on with the sharing of the gospel, people getting saved. It is incredible ministry. But you're going to get yourself right up and you're going to go out to the middle of a desert and to the most driest place you're going to find yourself. And you're going to have to leave the party here of everyone going excitement and you're going to go to the desert. And he went. And he didn't know why, except God told him to. But when he gets out there, he comes along and he comes on, you know the story, he comes upon a, a, a carriage and there is an Ethiopian eunuch up on the, on the, on going along in that chariot. Remember, he comes up upon him and he finds him. He's, what he's doing? He's reading the book of Isaiah, wasn't he? And he's reading the scriptures and he comes along and he says, well, do you know what you're reading? I'm not fully reading what I'm doing, but I'm trying to read because I'm trying to figure this out because I'm just leaving Jerusalem. I'm going back to Ethiopia and I'm not getting the full picture. I don't understand it. And so what does he do? Philip realizes God has sent him to meet this man in the middle of the desert so that he could get up in that chariot with him and share the word of God with this man so he comes to a point of what? I believe what the scripture says. And then what happens? We see, then Philip said, 
If you believe with all your heart, you may. You may what? Receive Jesus into your life and be baptized as well. If you remember, God miraculously provided water, not a little sprinkle, but enough water to be fully submerged, just like Jesus died, was buried, and then resurrected on the third day. He was baptized. But look at what the man says to him. And he answered Philip and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the question for you. In your mind, do you say right now that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? With all your heart, with no doubt. Because if you do, then you had or you can have a born-again experience and Christ will live within you. The Spirit of God will live within you and seal you for eternity with a guaranteed you're going to heaven. That is a precious gift that God has given you and me. Now, if we continue here, we see that this Christmas story of Christ's birth is here in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, is one of the most talked, after, talked about or shared with in the children's ministry all the way up to the even adult ministries in the churches today, especially this morning and the mornings to come. Look at this story here. Follow along with me. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Why did they come to Jerusalem? And who are these wise men? These wise men were um, credible counselors to the kings of that day. Because they studied astrology. They studied the stars. They studied the rotations and all these things. They were very, God had given them a wisdom to understand these things that they're watching day by day. They were focused on the planets and the, and the stars and everything, but also science and, and, and medicine and, and uh, uh, everything of the tactical nature that we would see today in our world. The mathematics, the histories, and all of these things. These are very wise men. They weren't um, uh, wise soothers or they weren't magicians. Those were another group that the kings would lean after to try to find what God is doing. But these guys were searching the stars and, and understanding what was going on. And they something miraculous happened. In verse 2 it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these wise men who are watching sees this miraculous miracle take place and they see a star in the sky. The star that God miraculously placed there for them to see, a sign. Now it's interesting. In Christmas time, back in those days, they didn't have signs that it was Christmas because there was no such thing as Christmas. There's no twinkling lights and and ads popping up in your little in your phones and your your news junkies and your uh, you know Facebooks. And, oh, it's Christmas time! You know it's only three hundred days from till Christmas, and there's only hundred days until Christmas, and there's ninety days of Christmas. Oh, if you haven't shopped, you better get ready for Christmas. There's constant signs of reminding you of Christmas, but there was no signs at that time. Kids, when they went to sleep, they went to sleep with no anticipation waking up in the morning and seeing any bright lights, or let alone any presents sitting in under any kind of a tree. There was no promise of a big meal that day. Or the gathering of the family and seeing family who have lived somewhere else and they're all traveled in to celebrate something. None of that was taking place at this time. But these guys, these wise men, were clearly watching the skies and looking and seeing. And they understood, we see in verse 2, that, the, uh, that 
the king of the Jews was born. How did they know? Because God gave them a sign, a star to follow. And so they came. Why? Just to take some pictures and some selfies with Jesus? No, they came to worship the God in the flesh. Jesus himself, the Christ. What would propel men to travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles in the middle of a desert to a place following a star? Because they believed what the scriptures said. Let's continue in our story here. Verse 3. They come across an, another person here, Herod the king. Herod the king heard that this was taking place because wise men are coming into the town. Something's going on. What's going on? He finds out they're showing up here. And he hears this and he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. Everyone was troubled that the king of the Jews was born here in this area. And these wise men are coming to worship him. You mean they weren't coming to worship Herod the king? Who thought he was, the, he was God himself? You mean everyone's taking their, their attention off of the worldly king and now putting it on to the God himself, the king of the Jews? Imagine the turmoil that was happening in this area. But look at what continues here. And when they had gathered all the chief priests, scribes, and the people together, he inquired of them, where is the Christ was to be born? And so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Which prophet? The prophet Micah. Micah 5.2, right here, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall, be, shall come a ruler, capital R, should be a capital R in your Bible there for ruler, meaning deity, who will shepherd my people Israel. Whoa. Herod must have said, I'm going to celebrate the birth of the king of the Jews, right? Nada. He was still troubled. He felt threatened. His livelihood, his lifestyle, his way of living, his having control of his life, and he could live however he wanted to live. He was the king of all the known world at that time. His personal life is now feeling threatened because Christ, God in the flesh, the king of the Jews, is now born. So what is he saying? Verse 7, And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. Notice, it's not a baby child. But a young child, remember, some time has passed now. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. That was a lie. He was just using him to figure out a way to get rid of this young child. And when they heard the king... They departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, what happened? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They stared in the face of God. Jesus himself, Emmanuel. Amazing grace. But notice here. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they brought their personal treasures to give to the king of the Jews. 
to God himself. They opened up their treasure and they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned, God divinely warned in a dream they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So here we see in the story that God had taken some wise men watching the signs of what's going on and they knew a sign based on scripture that there would be the Messiah the, himself, the Christ, would be born and would wear that he would be born. And that the star is what would guide them and they knew that that star was going to guide them and by belief they followed that star even though they've never been there let alone knew what was going to happen ultimately. They just knew that God was guiding them. It's just like in our, in our life. We just, God puts the desires in our hearts. He reveals one step. We take that step and as he continues to reveal his path for your life, you keep taking steps of faith of doing what God has called you to do and you keep moving forward as long as it's in line with the word of God. Herod heard the truth. He did not believe. The scripture says even the demons know who Jesus is. And knows the word. But they do not put their trust or they turn their life over to Jesus as their savior. So why do you believe? Who do you believe? What do you believe? Well we see in the scripture here. One of the challenges we have at Christmas many times is it's not always joyful in many people's eyes. It's a time where you have lost a loved one, a dear loved one that you love so dearly. And Christmas reminds you of that loss. Sometimes we have expectations placed on us at Christmas time that you know you're not capable of meeting those expectations. Or matter of fact, you had expectations, you placed them on people, and they were not able to meet your expectations, and you were very seriously dissatisfied with the moment. Like the big tractor under the tree that just wasn't brand new John Deere rolling up that morning. He had visions of big bows on it and just traveling, driving right up into the driveway. It didn't happen for some reason. For me, it was a bike so many years ago. We all have those stories, don't we? Of having expectations of what the world can offer. And the world it will always fall short for you. People, sometimes even the closest people to you, your loved ones, are not perfect. Did you know that? They're not perfect. And they can fall and not meet your expectations during this season. There's only one who can meet all of your expectations during every season of your life. And that is Jesus and him alone. Because God knows all things. He's all powerful. He's all present. And he has control over your life as a child of God. I want to take you to the last scripture here for today. Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah 9, 6. And while you're turning to there, I'm going to also give you one more scripture to ponder on today. Galatians 4. 4 verses 4 and 5. It says, But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. What a gift! Why we celebrate Jesus' birth is because God sent his only son to be able to come here to give you and I, who are under the law, the pressures of the law, the rules, the regulations, and all the things that come with that, to bring light to the fact that we're sinners. 
I didn't think I was sinning. I was traveling on the road and I was just going my, my own business and just going with the flow. And you didn't know you were doing anything wrong until you saw the light start spinning and the, the officer come up alongside you and say, do you know what you were doing? No, officer, I didn't know what I was doing. You were 20 miles over speed limit. You broke the law. You did wrong. I didn't know that. Well, now you do, because that's what the law does, is bring to light when you're not doing something right. But guess what happened? God sent his son, that those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We have a way to be adopted into the family of God. That's amazing grace. But let's go on to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it offers a description of what God has given to us. Because God first gave his gift to us. In our return, out of love for what he's done for us and he is doing for our lives, we give over to him our gifts, which is our life. We have a tradition in our family. The night before Christmas, we write a letter to Jesus. And we give something in our life that is not pleasing to God. And we write it and say, God, this year, I give, this is what I give to you. And we, we write it all out and we seal it up and seal the envelope. And we put it on the tree because we want to give something back. We want to give something to Jesus before we even open up our gifts of showing love to one another in the morning. Because we recognize how much God has given us. What has he given us? What's our gift? What has God given us? I love this passage and I hope you do too. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We sing that. Some people have been singing that for many, 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 many years every year, once a year. You'll hear things like this, and you'll hear this quoted, you'll see it on the site. But look, look what this means, though. A gift for you and a gift for me. It's right, look at it here. It's in the name. His name, right? His name will be called what? His name is Wonderful. Someone says, tell me about your God. He's Wonderful name is wonderful. What does that mean to you personally? It means that he takes care of all the dullness of your life. Have you ever found, oh man, I'm just lonely. My life is dull. There's nothing going on. I feel empty. I feel, whatever words you use, you know what those are in some point in your life. Do you know that the gift that God has given you is his son who is wonderful? He'll fill all the dullness of your life that this world offers you. Do you realize the wonderful gift of the ability and to understand that he is wonderful and you get to worship him because he is so wonderful? So if you're struggling with dullness of this season, come to him. He will fulfill, he will get rid of all that dullness of life that you're experiencing. His name is also Counselor. His second name here is Counselor. That means he takes care of all of the, the difficult decisions of life that you are coming in and going to experience in this life. I don't know who to turn to. I'm losing my mind. Turn to Jesus because he's the Counselor. I don't know what the situation with my kids and stuff, they're going this way and they're, they're making really bad decisions. Come to Jesus because he is the decision of life. I don't know what God's plan is for my life. Come to him, he's your counselor. He's going to give you and show you the decisions of life. God wants to counsel you, my brothers and sisters. He wants to counsel you and give you the truth because you can bet your life on the truth of God. He wants to remind us not 
to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. He's the greatest counselor you can ever go. You can lay on your couch and pour out everything you want to tell the counselor. He hears it all. He knows it all. He knows what to do with it all. Worldly counselors cannot, but God can. The third name is Mighty God. And this is significant because not only can he help you with your dullness of your life that you're dealing with and some really difficult decisions of life that you're struggling with right now because things are not working out the way you had them planned. Or someone has come against you or gone with you. Whatever it may be. Some difficult decisions. But notice that he is the mighty God. He can meet and fulfill all the demands of life that he's expecting in your life. Or, or, or what people demand in your life. He can be the mighty God in your life that can help you to give you the strength to deal with the things that are going to happen in your life this year. Day by day. He can be right there to give you the strength to endure the difficult and the hardships you may face that this world keeps dealing out against you. When you go to war, isn't it wonderful to know that you have a mighty God that lives within you? To give you the strength to live the life that he's called you to live. As a mother, as a father, as a grandparent. Whatever state you find yourself in today, know that he is a mighty God that you can trust in for the strength to endure the life you live. The fourth name, and his name is Everlasting Father. It takes care of the questions of, of life, like the destiny of life. What is my life going to be like here in the future? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone next year, five years or ten years. What am I going to do in this life? What is my destiny? What is my purpose in life? And the everlasting father should come back around to understanding that he's an everlasting father. That means he had no beginning. He has no end. He's always going to be there. He's never going to leave you or forsake you on this. He, you're adopted into the, 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 into the family. Your heavenly father is not going to leave your side. He's always going to be there. And that's very important for many because there's so many testimonies and so many stories about your earthly father dropping the ball, not there, not doing a God's way, not living in a, a good godly way. It, just so much stuff from an earthly father messing up the sons and the daughters of this world that God has brought them. And we hold on to that versus now moving on and say, yes, that's my earthly father, but I keep my eyes on my everlasting father who is perfect, who will always be there with a listening ear and with the resources of the universe at his fingertips to help his son or his daughter. Do you believe that, my brothers and sisters? Do I believe that he is wonderful? Do I believe he's my counselor? Do I believe in the mighty God, his power that's available to you and me? Do I believe an everlasting father will always be there in good times and bad times? Who always wants to hear from their child? To have a conversation with the their child, we call prayer. He can't wait till you talk to him and he talk to you. And then lastly, the fifth name here is Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, it takes care of an understanding and knowing that he as God is the Prince of Peace. He takes care of all of the disturbances of life that happens in your life. 
He will be there in your life to, to fill and to help and to bring about and quickly understand and bring about a change in all the disturbances of life that will come into you or come at you or come against you. And Christmas can be one of those times. Christmas can be filled with so much stress this time of year. Nothing's happening the way it happened. People said they were going to show up for Christmas. They're not coming to Christmas. Planes didn't arrive. Planes you can't get out. It can go on and on and on. The, the ham got, you know, forgot the ham. You burned the ham. I mean, there's, it just goes on and on of the disturbances of life on a daily basis. You thought you had the day off. Now you're working. It can go on and on and on. Life is filled with disturbances. There's always friction and there's always stress and problems between various family members that can happen during this period of time in life. But the question you and I must ask, do I believe that God is the Prince of Peace of my life and I just give that disturbance over to him and allow him to give me the peace to endure by his strength and his counseling to me how to deal with that disturbance and to know that he's wonderful. That is what God is asking us to, who to believe in. The question I have for you and God has for you to do you I believe? Do I believe this? Am I willing to put my trust fully in there? Because whatever gifts you may have waiting for you for Christmas, they pale in comparison to the gift that God has already given to us. There's no match. It is better than anything the world online shopping can give you. I know you love that little smiley face on the side of the box and you Amazon gift has arrived at the door. You get all lit up and you're so excited. Who is it from? Oh, I love Amazon. But let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, there's something better than an Amazon gift coming to your door. It is the amazing gift of God sending a son to this world. There is no greater gift than the gift of salvation. Amen?